Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. At the very beginning of the Gospels, you'll hear uh, both John the Baptist and Jesus calling us to a radical new way of life. They are manifesting or revealing the kingdom of God, it's at hand, but coupled with the idea of the kingdom or the aspiration to see the kingdom is the command, repent and believe in the gospel. That word repent is one of those words in the Greek New Testament that carries a lot of freight. And it is, in some ways, it's simple to understand, but it's incredibly profound and very deep in our understanding. My guest, Father Dave Pavanka, is the author of Living Metanoia, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in Christ, Father Dave is president of the Franciscan University of Steubenville. He has, for 30 years, been serving as a spiritual director, a retreat leader, formation director. He's also created a 10-part video series on metanoia, which is our topic today. And you can view at his website uh, the work of uh, this 10-part uh, video series on metanoia. It's at the website thewildgooseisloose.com, and it'll be linked at our website as well. Father, good to have you back here. Thanks. That's nice to be back with you. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, Good. Let's let's just go to the word. It's a a Greek word. Um, What is metanoia? Yeah. Well, first off, I like the what you said. You said it carries a lot of freight. And yeah. That was just, I've never heard that term before, and that's absolutely right. Yeah. It's a it's a really really powerful word. Um, it means, as you stated, uh, in that particular instance, it is uh, qualified as repent. So repentance is a part of it, but it's only a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really means to turn, to change, to change direction. Uh, to think differently, uh, to behave differently. And it's the other thing is it's not a singular event. The word is, it's this ongoing movement, this process of, the word that we might use more today would be the word conversion. Mm-hmm. So the metanoia and the idea of conversion, this continual process, uh, are, are quite similar and quite unique. Uh, so this turning uh, is is ongoing. It's just we talk about ongoing yes. conversion, which is ongoing right. turning, ongoing metanoia. Right. Um, it is. It, this is an important point because uh, I know for many years I was part of a, a Christian tradition, which tended to look upon repentance as uh, connected with a particular moment, um, which was a lot. Again, a lot of effort was spent trying to bring people to that point of commitment, conversion, uh, turning, metanoia, repentance. But there wasn't that much emphasis upon um, uh, repentance as an ongoing uh, act right. in one's life. Uh, right, right, right. What, what, it, you, go ahead, hey, you're going to go well, somewhere. And that's an important, I, honestly, yeah. Al, that's a really important point, is that, is that the, the life of a disciple is this continual process of deeper conversion, deeper repentance. Like I think in my own life, when, you know, when I was 20 years old, uh, my confessions are different now than they are, you know, now that I'm yeah. 56 years old. So that, that the closer, please, Lord, the closer we come to the Lord, we, 
we recognize things and we see things and we understand things that that continually brings us to conversion. And it's interesting because when we use the word conversion, we often think of, you know, a Protestant having a conversion to become a Catholic or something right. like that. Right. Well, but we look at it as a singular event, and that's really not what, what this word is. It's it's much deeper, more ongoing, more driving you each each way. So one of the things I, I actually, I just also released a book on the same topic. It's it's the, the same issue. And, and that is, that the each time we we experience metanoia, um, conversion, repentance, it ought to bring our, us closer to Jesus, closer to the establishment of the kingdom of God, and that's a lifelong journey. Thank the Lord. I mean, the fact that somebody would say, you know, I'm done with it. Well, that's that's silly to say that we're done in, in our <laughs> right. opportunity. But I remember one time I, I mentioned to some of my students here at Franciscan University, they were coming in as freshmen. And I said, my, my desire is that you guys experience conversion. Well, they shared with me later that they walked out of that meeting frustrated. They said, well, you know, why would Father Dave said conversion? We've already been converted. Well, as seniors, <laughs> they came back to me and they said, we understand what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Uh, my guest again, Father Dave Pabanka, he's the author recent, most recently of Living Metanoia. It's, uh, again, a, uh, a volume which is connected to his 10-part video series. Uh, and you can view the series at thewildgooseisloose.com. You mentioned Jesus, of course, and that is the one thing necessary, is conformity to Christ and his kingdom. So uh, you begin, uh, your episode one of the series is uh, asking that question, who do men say that I am? Um, right. And that's, uh, it makes sense that we do that, but it is interesting that the general impression and I would venture to say that many uh, younger Catholics also are uh, have a problem with this. There, there are many Jesuses out there in the world. You know, there are many um, sure. concepts, many notions about Jesus. What uh, would you have us focus in on when we think of who is Jesus? Yeah, and that's a great question. For those who happen to watch the video series that we filmed, uh, the whole series was done in Israel. So this particular episode was filmed in Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus asks, I think, the most fundamental basic question. Because he asked two things. Who do people say that he is? And that's important for us to be able to dialogue and discuss that. And then ultimately makes it much more personal, but who do you say that I am? <laughs> that's right, yeah. And, that's, and, and honestly, I'll, I think that's at the heart of this series is is getting past perceptions, understandings, baggage, freight that you mentioned, um, that, that we carry about who is Jesus, right? And, and some of them not, just not accurate. You know, again, who, who did they think, and why is it important that, that they did this at Caesarea Philippi? Because it was a place of false idols. It was a place that had all kinds of images and statues of false gods and false idols. There was one of Caesar. So Jesus is at that place that was understood at the begin in Jesus's time, a place of worship of false idols. He says, "Okay, we ask you there." He asks them there for that purpose. Who do you say that I am? In essence, saying, "Who are the false idols in your life?" You know, some people have made even Jesus, in one sense, a false idol that mm -hmm. that he's. Just like um, this, this everything is wonderful and nice and hug and everything that he's never going to actually ask anything difficult of us, which I spent a whole chapter on that, that some of the things that Jesus asks are profoundly difficult, right? So this idea that we have of Jesus, this idea that Jesus is harsh or he's mad at us or he's 
you know, whatever it is. So that is where the, this metanoia is important, is that we come to understand more deeply who Jesus is, not our image of Jesus, and not even mom and dad's image of Jesus, but the scriptures and being rooted in the scriptures, who is he? And that's, that's this most fundamental basic question that each one of us needs to be able to answer. Um, the, and this question is also connected to the idea of inheriting eternal life, right? Because Jesus— sure. Um, he, 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 um, I, 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 the king and the kingdom are very closely connected here. <laughs> so sure, it's, sure. it's important no, to get exactly. his identity right. But when you exactly. get his identity right, you get his life right. That's right. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. I mean, that he is, as he says, that he is the anointed one. I mean, Peter was right. He didn't fully understand it, but you are the Christ, right. you know? You are the anointed one. You are our hope, our salvation. You are the Redeemer. Not a hope, not a Redeemer, but you are the Redeemer. Yeah. And and this is this is what we have to get back to, because I think all too often we have this image of Jesus that is largely being perpetrated by the media or by the culture and and this is where I spend a lot of time in this in the book is that you know we live in a world that we live in a world that says the the greatest crime or sin or whatever is to offend somebody well <laughs> if we pay attention to the scriptures yeah. Jesus offended people yeah. you know I yeah. love the scripture where he says you know when you say that you offend us he's talking about the doctors he said oh get ready there's more where that came from right <laughs> um, so yeah yeah no that's very good I um, when somebody asks that, uh, when somebody gets awakened spiritually and they begin to realize there's more to this world than meets the eye, and they begin, they want to know, um, how, how can I connect with this uh, reality, which is much greater than myself? I know it's there. What... Jesus is one of the great religious teachers out there. What makes him different than these other teachers? Yeah. Why should he be the one that I go to? Yeah, the way you ask the question is really beautiful, actually. This, this sense of an awakening, and that's this metanoia, this awakening that there's something more than I understood, that there's something more here. I mean, why? why what makes him different? I mean, obviously because... He was the, the anointed one. He's the one who was crucified for my sins and broke the, the power of sin and the power of death. So Jesus' resurrection wasn't just a nice ending of the story. It profoundly right. made everything different, right? Mm -hmm. Because his bones are not in any grave. And that it was this, this validation of everything that he had said earlier, that, oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? That's not to say that, that people don't die, obviously, but with with the resurrection of the dead that my sins are forgiven and 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 not just that I, I spent a chapter on on jesus how he reveals his father i mean that's something very unique to jesus mm -hmm. is that he speaks of a god who is a father and then we begin to understand that god is triune that that the spirit of god animates this awakening and moves us in this but but we have to be something has to stir in our heart that says as you alluded to that there's something more yeah. There's something more that's going on here. You have a phrase in the beginning uh, of the book where you mentioned a seminary professor you had that said, uh, we have a Jesus-shaped God. That's a right. great line. And uh, right. elaborate on that a bit. Well, and just that, there's the, when we begin to talk about the divine or the supernatural, it's not, it's not just this vague power source illumination, but it's it's a person, that the Jesus, the 
person, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Holy One, the Son of God, both God and both man, that that is the beginning of our conversation about who God is. And, and what does it mean to be in relationship with this God? That And I love the, the image that Paul, when he goes to Athens and he's walking around, he said, you have this tomb of the unknown God. I can tell you that that unknown God has a face. Yeah. And he's yeah. a person and he has a name and he has a story. Uh, that's <laughs> That was radically different at their, and during their time and it's radically true for our time as well. Yeah, indeed, that's the case. My guest, Father Dave Pavanka, is the author of Living Metanoia, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in Christ. It's part of a 10-part video series uh, called Metanoia, Turning, Conversion, Ongoing, Repentance. You can view it at his website, thewildgooseisloose.com. We're going to continue on the other side of the break. And, of course, the book will be available in the online bookstore. Well, you'll be able to connect uh, to the 10 video series at our website as well. Stay with me. We've got another segment coming up. Last week at AveMariaRadio.net's Poll of the Week, we wanted to know if you thought there was intelligent life on other planets. 46% of you said no, 31% of you said you didn't know, and 23% of you said yes. Thanks to all who filled out the poll, and check out our new poll right now at AveMariaRadio.net. We want to know what is your favorite Summer Olympic event. Fill out the new poll now at AveMariaRadio.net, scroll down on the homepage, and click Poll of the Week. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Father Dave Pavanka. He is president of the Franciscan University of Steubenville and author of Living Metanoia, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in Christ. Metanoia being the uh, phrase and the, the word in the Greek New Testament meaning conversion, turning, repentance. And we've been uh, really plumbing the depths of uh, that word as a call to ongoing uh, conversion, ongoing repentance in our life. And uh, you know, I was thinking, uh, I was speaking to a, a group of college students last week, uh, Father, uh, up at Boyne Mountain, and uh, we were talking about uh, grace and uh, the relationship between grace and uh, faith and works and the Catholic formula of salvation by grace through faith, working in love. And somebody said, well, you know, it sounds to me, on the one hand, you're stressing God's love for us, his grace is sufficient for us, uh, and then you slap on these commandments. It's like you give me something in one hand and take it back the other. What's the relationship between God's uh, grace towards us and also his expectation that we live according to the commandments? Yeah, the the text that comes from my mind is for, from First John that says, "If you love me, you'll keep my commandments." Yeah. Is is that there's something that moves in our heart, and it's 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 one of the things that Paul speaks about. It's not simply an obedience questions, although that's a part of it. And mm-hmm. sometimes we need to be faithful simply out of obedience, right, you right. know. And there's that that's a part. But then there's something deeper that that I'll do things and please Lord that I did things for my parents because I deeply loved them, you know, and, and I wanted, it was a way of honoring them. It was, 
ultimately believing that they had my well-being in, in, in mind for them. So I think that, that that's at the heart of it is oftentimes we forget that relationship or that understanding about following the commandments and loving loving God. It's it's what I, in the second, actually the second chapter, the second video of Metanoia, I talk about first it's who do you say that I am, but then the next one is what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's yeah. the young man that runs up, he's wealthy, and he goes up to Jesus, so what do I have to do? And and I think this is important for us because, unfortunately, I think if we were to ask a large percentage of Catholics, what do you have to do to go to heaven? Some of the answers they would be was, well, you go to Mass, you tie, these right. things are all very important, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, they they don't mention Jesus, right? right? And, right. and, and ultimately, it's, it's following Jesus. But the first thing he says is, he says, follow the commandments, right? Follow the commandments. The, the, the commandments are not antiquated. It's not, those aren't just yesterday, that, that there's something central to us following Jesus to following the commandments. And then he says, and then give up all that you have and follow me. Now, yeah. granted, that was the call that the Lord gave for him. But even in that, Jesus says about how do you have to do inherit, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Follow the commandments. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, the other part, and, and we know this, but they're, they're protective. You know, the commandments aren't oppressive, they're protective. They To the degree that I'm more faithful to following the commandments, my life has a greater peace. It has a greater presence. It has a greater purpose. The commandments provide us that. Very good. Uh, You you have mentioned in the book here, uh, you got a a line of thought, which I wanted to make sure we get to. And and that is, um, you've got the story in Mark's Gospel where James and John ask Jesus if they can sit on his right and left in heaven. And in response, Jesus asks them, are you able to drink the chalice that I drink? And the two of them confidently say, we are able. And (laughs) you point out, too, that you love the fact that they say, we are able, rather than I am able. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and and I think it it, it is, yeah, just as, if we pay attention in the Scriptures, Jesus almost always sends people out in groups. Um, because he knows that we need that. I, I think I, I share a story that I had the opportunity a number of years ago to walk the Camino. I walked that 500 miles across yeah. Spain, and I walked it with one of my brothers, with one of the other friar priests. Well, there were days that I felt like quitting, and he'd say, oh, come on, we can we can keep going, and, and vice versa, that, that this relationship we have with another disciple, another believer, another person that has the same goals, I want to go to heaven, I want to be a saint, um, we can do this together. But you know, if anybody who's who's gone through suffering and difficulty, one of the oppressive natures of that is you just feel so alone, yeah, like nobody absolutely. understands or nobody sees. So when Jesus says, when he's obviously, can you drink of the cup? He's speaking of the cup of suffering, and they say we can, and and I don't know if they understood how how prophetic that was, right? But right. that that if I know that that I'm walking with somebody, I'm I'm more able to drink of that cup. Yeah. You tell the story, too, that you met this elderly couple who were making, um, walking the Camino for the second time. That's amazing. Tell me a little bit about them. Well, that in itself, they're really a remarkable couple. They were from Brazil. They were walking it the second time, which I think is funny because people always ask me, are you going to do it again? No, no. It was (laughs) a great experience, but once was plenty. But they they were both around 70 years old. But really the most amazing thing was the gentleman was blind. And there was just something watching he with his wife with his hand on her shoulder. But but that's at the the heart of the spiritual life. I remember 
you know, a student of mine saying, Father Dave, you tell me to walk, but I have no idea where I'm going. And and that's sometimes we've all felt that way before. You know, we think we're on the path. We're just not positive. And we need somebody that we can place our hand on their shoulder and we can say, you can walk with me. And someday it's going to be I'm going to be the one that I need a shoulder to place my hand on. And sometimes it'll be me that says, go ahead and put your hand on my shoulder. But that is the nature of being Catholic. I, one of the things I love about being Catholic is we we focus and we give great attention to the body of Christ, that we are in this together as a body, and, and we encourage and support one another, and unfortunately, sometimes uh, dry each other away. But yeah. the goal is to really walk with one another. Uh, later on, uh, jumping, I'm jumping ahead here in, in the book, Living Metanoia. My guest, by the way, uh, Father Dave Pavanka, president of the Franciscan University of Steubenville, and we're looking at the book that accompanies his uh, 10-part video series called Metanoia, which can be viewed at his website, thewildgooseisloose.com. You probably should tell people again why you have such a strange name on your website. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, the first series I did was a series we called The Wild Goose, and I've gotten so many questions about that. But it was actually the term that the ancient Celts used for the Holy Spirit, uh, that that the spirit isn't something that can be tamed, but there's a wildness, and and that's I think it's really beautiful. That's so great. it wasn't anything disrespectful. It was the ancient Celts that used the term long before long before I was around. You point out that when we're hungry for too long, it impacts the way we act. Uh, we get impatient, we get rude, uh, we get grouchy, and uh, for those who are really hungry, even starving, they get frantic, desperate, um, despair, uh, frightened. Uh, uh, irrational, irrational. Take connect that with a with the spiritual hunger uh, that we have. Yeah, yeah, and I talk about that at, at Jesus when he when he feeds the five thousand. Um, you know that if we pay attention, Jesus at one time was trying to get away from the crowds. Which there's something to that, right? That even Jesus took some time to get away from the crowds, and I think that's important. Yeah. But he looks upon them with pity uh, and looks upon them with love and realizes that ultimately they're starving. And, and, and he feeds them, but he goes on to say, you know, you can't follow me just because I did this miracle, but you follow me because I can ultimately feed you so that you, you don't have to be hungry again or you don't have to be thirsty again, that that our heart continually be, is, is satisfied. And, and he obviously satisfies that in the Eucharist. But even to that end, I say that that's an area that we need conversion for, that that at Jesus' time, um, people walked away from him. Yeah. And, and it's important that we look at that, that Jesus let them walk away. There's a lot of debate about the Eucharist right now and people coming to the Eucharist and are they worthy to Eucharist. But the reality is, is, is at that point, people walked away. And I'm sure there were probably some that said, oh, come on, Jesus, you know, lighten up. But right. but he wasn't going to. He wasn't going to change that, that there, it was so important that he was willing to have and allow people to walk away because he knew that the only way they were going to be satisfied, the only way that they were going to be fed was if they were able to receive his body and his blood. Yeah, It is, it is amazing that... Um you know, as, as John's penning that gospel, uh, he's generally, generally people think it's the last of the gospels that were actually, was actually committed to writing. But by that time, there's already been a generation of uh, a Christian experience of the Eucharist. Sure. And I, I just think, I, can, I just try to put myself in his position as he's telling that story and how tempting it, it, it would have been had he not had direct experience, how tempting it would have been to kind of soften the darn thing, 
Um, sure, you sure. know what I'm saying? I mean, sure. people are going to misunderstand. Uh, you know, sure. it doesn't make sense. It's scandalous. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's outrageous. Absolutely, you're. Al, Al, that's a phenomenal point. Yeah, and 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 that hasn't changed in two thousand years. Yeah, right. There's still a population that says to to tone it down a little bit. Don't take it so serious. It's a symbol, and yeah. And this is again. This is where uh, it's. Yeah, I talk about the. The scripture says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, that that this is a crazy, unbelievable, greater than we could imagine claim, that, that God would come to himself, that, that Francis would, St. Francis would be in awe that God would humble himself and come to us in what appears look to look like bread. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty remarkable claim. It is. It is. Um, you focus in on, on chapter 7. You talk about being called and chosen. And I wanted to ask you if... Um, over your years of ministry, you've noticed that uh, more and more Catholics are becoming aware that they have a sense of personal call, in a sense of mission, a sense of giftedness. Um, and if that's becoming more or is that more common than, say, 30 years ago? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. You know, that's a really good question. Um, I would say in some, yeah, I would say probably across, well, let me, how can I put it? I think with a certain population, it is, and it's becoming more dominant. Mm -hmm. So you've got a population that are encountering Christ and coming to understand what it is to be in relationship with him. Uh, and then and then what is their vocation? It's interesting to think that word vocation, because we often equate it as vocation. What's your vocation to be married or to be a priest? Right. But the Holy Father, John Paul, when he wrote his document on, to the uh, Christian faithful, he spoke of this idea of personal vocation, again, in this process of continually coming to understand yes. what is the mission that the Lord gives us. And it's not a singular event. That you know, My mom and dad's mission, who are, they're both in their mid-80s, is quite different than it was 30 years ago when they were more active. But that continual coming to understand what is the mission, what is the vocation, that, that's the language that John Paul used. Um, I think that, that there is a population that's becoming more aware of it. We're actually starting a new program at the university here at Franciscan University, you know, an entire office on personal vocation. Really? And coming to understand that very, yeah, that very issue in, in the light of your education, but it's not just an intellectual endeavor. Right. It's a mission that the Lord has that's unique for each one of us in helping our students discover that. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I was blessed way back in 1974 when I was given the grace of a very strong sense of call and mission. Uh, it, was, it was a broad call, but it was there. It was simply to spend my life in some way uh, disseminating uh, the gospel. Or I sold books for 10 years. I mean, <laughs> that's what I was, as Christian books. And yeah. I thought, well, that's fine. And then I was asked to start, uh, you know, doing a little Bible study teaching thing, eventually asked to pastor a church, eventually asked to do radio. And here I am uh, towards, I guess you have to say, I'm getting old now. <laughs> That's all I've been doing all my <laughs> you life. You said that. I didn't say that. <laughs> but I do, I, all I can say is that it was so, I, I was so blessed to have that early on in life. And thankfully a wife that saw it too. And she helped me stay faithful to that. And I just would wish that same uh, clarity for uh, young men and young women today. So it's very important to me. Father, can you stay just another minute? Sure. Okay, we'll be back on the other side of the break. Father Dave Pavanka, president of the Franciscan University of Steubenville, my guest. 
Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta with the Father Dave Pabanca. He is president of the Franciscan University of Steubenville, and he has created a 10-part video series called Metanoia, Turning, Conversion, Repentance. Uh, the book is Living Metanoia, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in Christ. Father, tell us a little bit about how people can uh, begin watching this and you know enter into this experience of metanoia. Sure. If they go to the the website that you alluded to, the Wild Goose is Loose, then they've got the series there. And we've got a PDF with some questions and study guides that you can also get that online if you like that. And then the book they can get through through your site, through the Francisco University, through our Sunday Visitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also get it on Amazon if you want to go that direction. So yeah, it's fairly available. All right. Very good. Well, thank you so much. Wonderful talking with you. And uh, it's always a pleasure. I wish you ongoing uh, success and blessing. Thank you so much, Father. Great. Come visit us at the university sometime. I will. Uh, in fact, I should, and I should, now that he mentions that, I should mention, I'll be down there for the Defending the Faith Conference uh, coming up at the end of July, uh, uh, just a week and a half ago, week, week and a half from now. I'll be the, doing some speaking on uh, inheriting uh, the unshakable kingdom. So, in fact, I'd invite all of you to come down to the Defending the Faith Conference there at the Franciscan University of Steubenville. All right, coming up next hour, Lewis Brown takes a look at a bill in Ohio meant to protect the conscience of doctors, and then we'll take a look at the phenomenon called demon possession with Dr. Richard Gallagher. I'm Al Cresto.